This episode is brought to you by Jeff Bramis, recycling real estate in Bellingham since 2001. Jeff Bramis, real estate for real people. We just want to let you know before we start that at the very end of this interview, there's a short discussion about suicide. Welcome to Little City Big Sound. I'm David Pender Lofgren. Every once in a while, I encounter a songwriter who manages to describe a moment or a feeling in a way that I feel like they've read my mind. Or maybe it's more like they've read my soul. Like, like they found a way to put into words a thing that I've only ever felt, but I've never been able to name. I almost want to call it nostalgia, but that's not quite right. Anyway, this month's guest is a songwriter whose work does this to me almost every time I listen. Kristen Allen Zito is a Bellingham native who was exposed to the world of songwriting and performing at a young age. As the daughter of celebrated folk musician Linda Allen, she and her sister traveled with mom across the state throughout their childhood, performing concerts to school children and coffee houses. By her early 20s, Kristen had built a musical career of her own, first in a duo with Sister Jen, and then as a solo artist. When I arrived in Bellingham, she was best known as the lead singer for the Bellingham-based electro-punk band The Trucks. But in 2010, not long after The Trucks had played their last show, Kristen released her second solo album, a project that took a decade to write called The Atlas. This record is incredible. If you've never heard it, do yourself a favor and put it on just as you take your first sip of Sunday morning coffee. Last spring, after a hiatus from playing or recording and a stint living in Seattle, Kristen released an EP called Bridge. We sat down in the studio in mid-November as she was in the midst of a residency at the honeymoon. The conversation that we had was so honest and wide-ranging, so interesting, that I had a really hard time deciding what to include in this edited version. So, if you enjoy what you hear, and you want to hear more, this episode marks the first time that we're offering bonus content. Uh, stick around till the end of the episode for details on that. Alright, without further ado, here's our conversation. Kristen Allen Zito, welcome. Thank you. You brought your guitar into the studio. Uh, would you play us a song? Sure. Sleep on the tracks at night. Mm. 
So uh, I try to do as much research as I can before these interviews. Uh, in this case, that looks like me typing Kristen Allen Zito into Google and reading everything that pops up. Um, so according to the internet, your story goes something like, you're best known as the lead singer from the Trucks, a uh, synth punk band from the mid-2000s, that uh, during your reign as Bellingham's best known girl rock group, I use that term with quotes, uh, saw success in the form of like national tours, playing big festivals, getting your music placed on television and in advertisements. Um, but there are other narratives too. You know, there's like the community of people that came to your music through your solo material. I think uh, probably most notably the Atlas in 2010, um, which was after uh, the trucks broke up. Um, and that was released on Quick Pop Records, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's also this like daughter of a folk singer story that gets told, you know, that a lot of people that sort of know your mom, uh, -huh. uh Linda Allen, Bellingham folk singer, first, uh, talk about you and your songwriting, like sort of through the lens of this generational narrative. I mean, I, w I want over the course of this interview to try and touch on pieces of all of this, but I wonder first, like, if you ever feel torn between trying, like, feeling like you need to be those different people to different groups? <clears throat> yeah. I think there's a tendency for me to want to please whoever I'm playing in front of. And there's, there's definitely, there's some crossover between uh, people who like different things that I've done. And then there's some not. I mean, there's people who are like, oh, I loved you in the trucks, but what is this uh, singer-songwriter kumbaya stuff? Like, because I'm I'm doing more like sing-alongs. And uh, vice versa. I've, I've had somebody say, I saw you in the trucks and you just didn't seem like yourself. <laughs> and which is, you know, is... I still try and make the stage a place that I can just be as much myself as possible. I think also who I am off stage is very different from all of those people. I think that I'm all of those people are me on stage, but there's another me that's off stage that's like has a hard time making small talk sometimes and has a hard time being in a group of people. Like I can be on stage with a huge group of people, but sometimes uh, I can't, or it's just difficult, or I or I feel like I'm putting on an act. I don't know if everybody feels that way, so I don't know. That's certainly been a theme of a lot of the interviews that we've done. There's uh, easily half of the interviews that I've done in, yeah. in this show could just be called like introverts play music. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like I feel comfortable on stage, but... Uh, walking out into the crowd after the show is a totally different experience. Yeah, yeah. Is that something that, that you learned to deal with, like, early on? Yes. My mom um, showed us kind of how to be professional. So that, to us, meant that you were on stage from the time you got to the venue or the town or whatever until you are, like, in your room at night. You know, so... To me, the performance um, is all of it. I mean, it, it's the energy is is going out from for the whole time. So maybe uh, I think something that's a piece of a story that hasn't been mentioned yet. Can you just talk a little bit about like what uh, sort of growing up with your mom as a songwriter, what that meant for you and your sister, at, like as far as being exposed to the world of uh, professional musicians? And such. My mom uh, played a lot of educational music. Her songs were about the stories of 
kind of untold stories of women in history. And for the centennial in 1989, she was hired to be the resident songwriter of Washington State. Oh, that was the centennial of Washington becoming a state. Yeah, so from from an early age, I would say since I was about seven, um, we would we were used to being on stage with mom singing, you know, children's songs and different songs in elementary schools all over Washington. And she taught us just like any parent would teach any kid any kind of behavior, like kind of what the social rules were for being on stage and that never complain to the audience and you just what that means just gen generally being uh very nice and and um generous mm. with your time and yourself wow that is such an amazing gift to be given as a will be future like performer music i feel like that takes so many of us so long to learn if we ever learn at all the the, those rules, those sort of yeah, like, yeah. When you show up at the venue, you're on stage already, and, and to always be on time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I I thought about that actually going here. Um, yeah, I mean, there were just there were rules that like it was just unheard of that you would be like late for a show, or that you weren't prepared. You know, you you dress up and you you take it seriously. Sure. Basically, whatever you do, wherever you are. I mean, we played a lot of shows where there would be like maybe two people in the audience or something. And or, you know, you just learn to be like really grateful. Right. For the job, basically, you know. So you sort of bring with you into uh, your songwriting and performing career all of this knowledge that comes from. Hanging out with mom, going yeah. to the shows. So then at a certain age, I was pushing back against that. So learning kind of the d difference between being yourself and kind of right. performing a self, a version <clears throat> of yourself. I started to really notice other performers who were more themselves on stage and uh, comedians as well. I love comedians and they're... I think it's really interesting when you see a performer and they're actually talking about where they're at right now today and bringing that to the performance. And then you can see how they interact with the song on that particular day, which is interesting. It was always interesting to me. Rather than kind of doing a rehearsed story, which is which is where it, that was the kind of the way that my mom performed was that we would all the introductions were like rehearsed and kind of jokes were rehearsed and like everything was sort of thought about, which was great. But I kind of wanted more spontaneity mm. or I like watching more spontaneity happen. So um, then did you have to sort of draw? a bubble for yourself where you go on stage, I'm going to strive to be real and myself. But when I step off stage, I have to like create some sort of character to survive in the chaos. It is like, uh, I don't know. I haven't really thought about creating a character off stage or a person. I think it just is so naturally it's, it's the same way you would any like, you know, being any kind of service industry job where you just learn to be who you need to be for your job. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how I feel like, I feel like performing is not any different in that way. So I just try and pull against that as much as I can. And I try to be more real as much as I can on stage mm -hmm. and I guess off stage. For other people, if you're like, if they're like, how are you doing? And you're like, yeah, I've just been in bed depressed for like five days. And they're just like eyes big. I, I don't know. It's not, it's not always something you want to say. Right. You know, whatever you're go really going through, not everybody 
wants to hear it or deal with it. So I don't know. Everybody's going through stuff. It's, it's just like at the supermarket, you know, how are you doing today? Oh, fine. Thank you. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, I don't know how, I don't know how real anyone is really. I don't know. <laughs> I, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I sort of have this theory that like a lot of, a lot of the reason we go to performance, like musical performance, the thing that, uh, as an audience we're drawn to is like, we want an emotional experience, right? Which gives the performer a lot of power to mm. cultivate an emotional experience. Mm -hmm. And as the performer, you feel the weight of that thing where you go like, if I project discomfort, mm. the audience gets discomfort. If I project, uh, you know, you can be authentic and you can be vulnerable but that's different than like being like truly just sad. Yes. Right. I've had some family shows that were a little crazy like that. What do you mean? Well, like at, you know, in my teenage years, I mean, my sister and I both went through times where we were just like kind of really honest on stage and had some awkward moments I, on stage with my mom. I just think that sometimes the honesty can come out pretty intensely if there's there's kind of this like pushback against being a performer or being in some sort of ha feeling like you have to be a certain way or you have to be okay when you're not. And so I think there's just been times where when the honesty comes through, it's pretty, it's pretty intense mm. and it can be pretty dark. And I've had instances where I felt like I just, I dropped a, something pretty serious on the audience and didn't really prepare them, you know. Um, it's happened recently. There was, I have a new song called Three and it's, a, it's about not having children right now and I can tell that it's, it's kind of a bit of a bomb when I when I play it I mean it's just a little bit of a shock just a little bit you know mm -hmm. so I don't know I try and keep that kind of intensity in the songs and not as much out of the song does that make sense? Yeah. Uh. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, that like you want it, you want the intensity to be in the song because that's sort of like the crafted piece. Yeah. But like in between the songs, that's a different zone, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's just like my sister and I, we grew up, you know, we would be fighting and like screaming at each other and then get on stage and pull it together, you know. I think lots of bands have that. Mm -hmm. But um yeah, the family the family element of that is was pretty crazy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. That makes sense. So you said you for a year your mom was traveling around with you two doing the centennial stuff. Yes. But you guys were performing as a family in addition to that, because you're talking about your teenage years and stuff too, yeah? Yes. So when we were younger in elementary school, um, both my sister and I got to go on separate trips where we would perform at elementary schools and do that kind of um, educating about Washington State and singing songs like Roll on Columbia. And then... Later in our teenage years, there was a concert in Berkeley and my mom lost her voice like the night before the show. And she was totally losing it and didn't know what to do. It was a big deal. And my sister said, we know all your songs and we can do them. So, uh... She played guitar and we did the whole concert, which was like two sets. Um, 
and my sister and I sang all of her songs. Wow. So at that point, I think my mom was like, whoa, like we could do this. So then we started touring after that as like a trio. And so we would back her up in three-part harmony. Okay. So that's kind of how that happened. And that was like, yeah, through my, up to my early 20s. And then I didn't want to play in the family band anymore. I wanted to try my own thing. So. Is uh, my timeline correct? Is Helium the first? Is that like your sort of debut solo? Um, yeah. It. I had a. I think I had an EP before then of a few songs. Um. So. Yeah, there were, but the, yeah, that was my first real, like, release. And, um, yeah. Can you just talk briefly about, like, how that, how do you get from, like, playing in the family band to, I'm writing my own material, like, I'm going to put this record together, put a band together that's going to, like, you know. Um, so... When my sister and I toured with my mom up and down the coast, eighth grade and freshman year, I think is when we started doing that more, I had already started writing my own songs, and my sister had too. So my mom would make a space in her sets where she would feature us, and we so we each did like a solo song, and then we had one song that we wrote together. And so we started to write more together, and Jennifer and I were a duo. We performed. We then had our own band, um, and we were we had this brief period of time where we went to Fantasy Studios and had this big producer and worked with these studio musicians and cut like a three-song demo that was really big and fancy, but it didn't really feel, it, it sounded like, I don't know if you remember Michelle Branch. Totally. You remember that? Yep. That's like what our music sounded like. It didn't really sound like us though. Like the two of us, you know, came out of Bellingham and out of these really folky roots. And we liked having that in our music too. So Basically, that kind of situation, that was like right when we really started to go for it is kind of when all of our musical differences, I think, came out because then we had we we had the ability to basically like have anyone do anything. And I was I really liked Liz Fair and a lot of like indie rock music of the late 90s. And my sister was very... um interested in like Afro-Cuban music and, and, um, just didn't really like, um, distortion. And she liked, she liked, um, she just, we just had very different tastes in music at that time. So it was just kind of a natural, I mean, there were fights. I mean, what, what you know, there were fight, we were sisters. Totally. <laughs> we fought, but... <laughs> You know, at the end of that year, I like had decided I never wanted to play music again. And I didn't, I didn't want to have anything to do with music. And it took a year back in Bellingham to kind of get back into music. And so when we moved back to Bellingham, my sister and I had a rocky relationship and Richard Schultz um, told us to come over and just listen to records and maybe he would record us playing together. And so we had this standing date with him. I think that was like once a month or something or once every couple weeks where we would go over there. And sometimes we would be literally like sitting on opposite ends of the couch. Sometimes we would play and we wouldn't be speaking and sometimes we would get along. And over the course of that year, the recordings that came out of that were our Jen and Kristen uh, CD. 
So anyway, that that album came out, and at the same time, I was recording Helium. Okay. So that's kind of how that happened. And that's 2004, is that right? Yeah. So it was like 2002 and 2003 is like when we were recording, and then, yeah, it came out in 2004, the Helium. Yeah. And the Jen and Kristen one, but we never, you know, we've never done like a CD release. We just kind of, that was it right. for that time. And it was weird. It was hard because at that time, um, I people really liked me and my sister playing together. And I had people tell me that they were discouraging for me to go off on my own. They said, you know, the magic is you and your sister. I just don't think it's as good with that, you know. And I had to be like, whatever. I'm still going to do it. So. This episode is brought to you by Irish and Folk Mondays at Green's Corner. Every Monday, Jan Peters hosts a thriving Irish music session, followed by a stunning acoustic concert series featuring local, regional, and nationally touring artists, performing a wide variety of folk and traditional music. Listeners and players alike can enjoy the great selection of food and drink available at Green's Corner, experience the age-old tradition of session playing with Bellingham's intergenerational Celtic music community, and revel in the world-class sounds of the feature performance. This month, Yon Songs Productions is proud to present the lonesome cowboy songs and passionate boleros of the Tango Cowboys, Alex Stone's Suite with Richard Schultz, local legends Lindsay Street, and a deep Yuletide Christmas show with David Virgin. For showtimes and more, visit yonsongsproductions.com and follow Irish and Folk Mondays on Facebook. Irish and Folk Mondays at Green's Corner. If Mondays make you blue, come to Green's. Um, Would you play a song from the Atlas? Yeah. Thank you. 
God, I love your songwriting. Thank you. It's really good. Thank you so much. Um, I feel like you have this ability to communicate uh, emotions or, or like states of mind that are really clear. And I know I'm not the only one who feels this way because leading up to the interview, I've been saying, yeah, I'm going to interview Kristen Allen Zito and I've talked to a lot of people about what your music does to them. Um, and I feel like you have this ability to get us, the listener, to feel really what feel like really crystal clear, strong things. And you do it with words that don't feel contrived. It doesn't feel like you're reaching for some like sort of lofty meaning. It feels like you're just sort of like saying the thing plainly in the way that communicates the moment, communicates the feeling. Thank you. I want to know how much work it takes to do that. Like, do you, ha do you do like a ton of drafts when you're trying to write the thing or do you... What, what, what does it look like when you're, you say, I have this feeling or I have this moment I want to convey? What's that process look like? I think the way that you talked about it, I think um, usually I'm starting with a feeling. And sometimes it's just coming from a place where I feel like I'm drowning in that feeling. And so getting myself out of it is what the song is for. Um, or to try and reach for a feeling that I wish that I felt. So like, um, like the siren and the sailor, for instance, that is a song that I did not feel that way when I was singing it. I felt terrible. I was in a breakup and I, didn't know. I, I was just trying to think of how would it feel to be on the other side of this. And so that's what I reached. So, so I was reaching for that. And then the more I sang it, the more I became that because it was in the song. So, mm. but I do, yeah, I do generally start with a feeling. Um, I some songs I write a lot of drafts. There's the Taj Mahal. I wrote a lot of different versions of that song over ten years, and finally finished it. Just kind of had a moment. I decided I wanted to finish it for a show, and I just had to let go. And so. Were you writing and writing and writing and then like performing as you're writing or is it like you're writing different drafts, but you're never actually putting it out in the world until mm -hmm. that last show when you say, yeah, I'm going to finish it. Yeah. If I play a song out before it's done, I usually have a hard time changing it too much after that. Cause I kind of feel like all of a sudden I'm letting other people have a relationship with it and if they like it a certain way. I I don't want to like take that away from them. I mean, that's how I feel when I listen to music that I like. Mm. Like if somebody plays a song and I love that version and then they change it, then I'm like, ah, no. That Robert Blake has a this new song and I don't know if it's going to change, but he played it. I saw him play it pretty fresh and it's a, it's a recent one. I can't remember what anything about it right now, actually. But I, I just was like that. Oh, I listened to you sing. That's the one. And I was just like, the first time I heard him play that was, I think, the best version of that song. It was just beautiful. Just perfect. So I hope he doesn't change it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I kind of feel that way where it's like if I, if I introduce it, I think... I don't know, but try to, I try not to make too many rules about being on stage because, again, I try and I let that place be totally free for myself. That's what I'm trying to do. So you're, uh, 
in the middle of or towards the end of this residency at the honeymoon. And the band that you're playing with is uh, you playing acoustic guitar, Aaron Hermanson playing upright bass, or I guess, did he play keyboards last week too? He play, he did on two <laughs> two songs. He played some keyboards. <laughs> uh, and Lewis Ledford, who is playing mandolin and electric guitar, right? Yes, and sometimes acoustic guitar. It's it's uh, strange to me to watch Lewis as like the lead guitar player, lead mandolin player in a yes. band. Yes. What does it feel like for you to have? Uh, to have like a accomplished singer songwriter in his own right it's, as your <laughs> sideman. It's amazing. I mean, it's like uh it's crazy. It's funny. Um yeah, he I I lucked out with this situation. Um Lewis actually a- approached me about it and was like it I've he 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 had never really done that before and um wanted to and loved my songs and told me that he really wanted to play on them and I was shocked I was like what are you talking about (laughs) really okay so I mean yeah it's been it's been really flattering um and it's cool because he because he's kind of figuring it out, um, you know, I, it's, it just feels like low pressure. I kind of feel like, again, like the stage is like a safe place and their personalities also are very in line with mine. Is it really interesting to see, uh, cause you're like, uh, I want to make sure I say this in the right way. There, there is a vibe of like things are, you're still kind of figuring out things, you know, like Lewis mm-hmm. is still trying to figure out exactly how to like weave his playing into your songs. And that's present on, st- like you guys bring that with you onto the stage. Yes. Which makes it, it's sort of like you're saying that it's another level of authenticity that just is really refreshing from the audience perspective to be like, Oh, cool. We're all just in in this together, you know? That's good. (laughs) I'm glad that's how it comes across. (laughs) That's cool. Yay. You know, playing together takes time, and I think the hardest part of putting together a group is kind of just getting the personalities and kind of how you listen to each other and how you approach things kind of getting on the same wavelength there. Lewis is amazing in the way that he, his tendency as a songwriter is to pull way back and to kind of, he's constantly checking in about whether or not it feels like I'm playing over, you know. And so he has a lot of instincts that I think are just really amazing. So he'll, I I don't usually have to tell him to like play less you know, um, and I kind of just generally don't worry about it with him because he's, if he's not sure about something or if he's really feels like he's going to mess something up, he'll just kind of stop playing or play quieter. And I think because he's a songwriter and because he's lyrically driven, um, I think that he's very sensitive about that. So, that's been really amazing too, you know. Mm. So uh, you just recorded a new, well, you just released a new EP. Yes. Called Bridge. Yes. It's my understanding that you sort of have a, that's one piece of this sort of bigger project. Is that true? Yeah, there's, so... I started working with Paul Turpin in probably about 2015. And so all of these songs were kind of massaged together. It just kind of, and again, these are all really different kinds of songs. So 
we were trying to figure out how to release them since they seem so different, at least from my perspective. I don't, I don't know how different they seem to other people, but we decided to release it in two parts and just to have um, Bridge be the first one where there's some of the tracks that were B-sides from the Atlas and some new songs, but they kind of felt like they lived together. And then Tunnel is the other um, collection of six songs that I wrote later and sort of feel like they go together. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of have like, like in my mind, a lot of times I'll have like two or three songs that kind of really go together that are disconnected from everything else. And it's like pulling all these little islands of songs together into a, a record. It's kind of, yeah, I don't, I don't really ever like write a conceptual huge piece. It just kind of comes together over time. So yeah, I don't know if, I mean, Bridge and Tunnel is going to be released together on vinyl someday. Uh, so you recorded the Atlas in 2010 under the Click Pop label. Yes. With Paul Turpin. Yes. And you also have been working with Paul nine years later on mm -hmm. this, on Bridge and Tunnel. Uh, can you just talk about like w what it's like to work with him, why you decided nine years later to like, Paul's the, the guy, I'm going back there. He's, for yeah. the record, he's Champion Street Studios here in town. Yes. Um, so I think for me, the comfort level of working with Paul is, is just wonderful. Um, he... He's one of the fastest engineers I've worked with where he, all his shortcuts and everything with the Pro Tools, um, just being able to edit quickly because um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes I'll need to redo things and he's just so fast with a lot of stuff. Um, and... Paul and I have known each other for so long and we've gone through a lot of stuff and um, I think he was probably the only person that I could work with at that time when we first started working together nine years later because I was very depressed and didn't feel good about myself as a songwriter or a musician or anything and he I also had this feeling that whatever I did somehow needed to make money and be successful in some sort of way or something and I didn't feel good as, about my songs that I was writing and I didn't I didn't really feel good about a lot of things and he um we had I just we we had breakfast or something. We went to a cafe and we just talked and he was so encouraging and he he I think what he said was, Well, we make records because that's what we do. This is just this is what we do, you know? You don't have to make records for I don't know anyone or for any reason this is just what you do and I think that that gave me the freedom to work again and to get back in the studio and through working with Paul I kind of became I think myself again in that way so yeah it I don't there's nobody else that I could have worked with at that time I don't think so yeah he's a he's a pretty fabulously encouraging person so bridge is what has been was released in April of this mm -hmm. year of 2019 mm -hmm. tunnel has yet to be released mm-hmm uh quickly the name bridge and tunnel yeah bridge is like 
both of these things are is basically my album of getting through the last period of my life. And um, some of it felt like a bridge from the Atlas and kind of felt really connected to my past in Bellingham. And Tunnel was a lot of songs coming out of Seattle where I felt, um, yeah, pretty isolated and underground, I guess. But hopefully I'm making it through and over these things to the other side. Both of them, it's funny, Meg Yates had that record, The Other Side, come out, and I was like, yeah, I guess we're all just with these themes of getting through and coming out and getting over, mm. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I, I've been sitting on Tunnel. It's a... It's a hard one for me to release because it's it's very unhappy, and I don't. It's hard for me to face those songs that I, you know, those feelings that those songs came out of. I'm not always really looking forward to getting back in there if I've moved on. Right. So, like right after the Alice came out, I didn't want to. I didn't tour on it, and I didn't really want to play a lot of shows because it was dealing with so much grief and I had processed so much in just recording it that it was hard to play those songs. I was ready to live in some new music and some different songs. So, and I kind of feel that way right now about Tunnel where I'm kind of like, I think I'm having a hard time releasing it just because I, I don't want to look at it anymore mm. a friend of mine just told me I need to that's exactly why I need to release it so I just don't have to think about it anymore but it's a weird one I don't know I have a lot of weird shame and embarrassment for this that particular time so it's it's there's some shame in those songs Are you playing any of the songs from Tunnel on yeah. a regular basis? So Trying to Lose My Mind is from Tunnel. And that one I think I felt pretty ready to release. Um, that song is really hard, actually. That song was about... So a story about that song that I don't talk about on stage. That song was about a friend who committed suicide. And um, it was a devastating situation. He had two kids, and his kids found him. And so that song is hard to think about releasing because um, I don't know. It's just a... Some of these stories are so tragic that it's just like releasing the story into the world. I don't know. It feels weird. Like, is this going to amplify these feelings of tragedy? Or in releasing it, does it transform for someone else? I know I feel that way about other people's songs. Which it, way? Like, I feel like other people's sad songs mean something to me, and I don't really care what it means to them, you know, because they become something for me. So there's this part of me that feels like, oh, this is a song that will mean something else to somebody else. But for me, it's a very sad song that I am, I'm developing a new relationship with it on stage. But it's hard to think of it going out into the world recorded right now. Mm. I don't know. There's a lot of things like that on the on tunnel <laughs> mm. where, yeah, it's kind of scary to think about releasing those. So it sounds like you you put a lot of yourself, like your emotional self, into the songs that you write. Like that's, 
Uh, it's one thing to write a song that's just sort of like, I want to take some characters and have them do things and that'll be a song. Yeah. And instead you're like, this is a distinct and like deeply emotional piece of myself that I'm going to package up and then put out in the world. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, it's true. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I always have wanted to be a, um, better at writing songs where I'm flipping characters and bringing in different stories and things like that. But um, I'm just not very practiced at that right now. I just, um, and usually writing a song is, a, for me, a matter of necessity and kind of how I know how to deal with the world around me and how I filter it. Um, so, yeah. There's, yeah, there's songs that, like, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's weird. It's, I don't know. I trip out about storytelling and kind of that idea of, like, when you tell a story, you can't take it back. It's just in the world and what kind of stories are we putting out in the world. And some of the darker stories, it's hard to right now kind of with dark times to kind of put out more dark stories where I'm kind of, I wish I had a different album to release right now. I think I wish I had a diff. I wish I, I, I could use a buffer between the Atlas and bridge and kind of this next set. Like I could really, I could use a trucks album right now and mm. I could use this other part of me. That's mm, a stronger character and has a sense of humor and has a sense of joy and, and power. And I kind of, without that outlet right now, that is just, it's just me with these kind of weird kind of, some of those emotions kind of mixed up with my weird dark emotions and it's a little weird to think about just going into that somehow. Although I don't know what makes me think that I'll go into that by releasing it. It's like probably the opposite. I mean, I don't know, but this is what I trip out about. <laughs> so. Is, uh, is tunnels done? Like, are you yeah. ready to release it? Uh, I mean, like, uh, yeah, technically. Yeah, you... it's mixed and mastered, and, um, yeah, it's ready. It's it's ready. It's it's my goal to put it to give it to the manufacturer this week before my birthday on Friday because I'm turning forty and I kind of am like I just need to let it go before Friday, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, like the graphics are pretty much done and it's just sending it off to the atomic disc, you know, in Portland. Wow. So this is, uh, this moment that you're sitting down behind the microphone is kind of, there's some big things here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I always, I'm laughing because I'm always like, I think I'm, there's always like big things. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a dramatic person. Maybe I, I don't know. But yeah, it is a, it is a, it is a, it is a big, it's a big time right now. I think there's, for me, this year is the 15 year anniversary of helium coming out. And next year is going to be the 10 year anniversary of the Atlas coming out. And I'm really, yeah, I'm trying to push out this material that I've been kind of sitting in and making space for new, new stuff to come up. What is that next, uh, what does that next chapter look like? From dance here? music. Yeah. I think I have to play dance music. I mean, I think that's what I need to play for a while. I think that. I'm going to keep playing with Lewis and Aaron, and I love that. 
Um, but I think that, yeah, I think doing some dance music, I, I think that I need that part of myself right now. So I don't know. <laughs> Kristen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. That's all for this episode and for Little City Big Sound in 2019. Thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks to our guests this year, Thomas Deacon, Holly Huffman, Mustafa, Carrie Ross, Stephanie Walbon, Meg Yates, Devin Champlin, Craig Jewell, Pace Rubido, Jan Peters, and of course, Kristen Allen Zito. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we have a bunch more of my conversation with Kristen that I think is really interesting. If you want to hear that bonus material, we're offering it to everyone who supports the show through Patreon. So if you're not a Patreon member yet, go to our website, littlecitybigsound.com slash support us. That's littlecitybigsound.com slash support us. And click on the Patreon button. All current and future Patreon members will receive a message with directions on how to listen to the extra material from that interview. I think it's fascinating. Kristen talks about her writing process, about trying to find her own style. She talks in detail about writing for her debut album, Helium, as well as some great stories about navigating the world as a member of a family band. So whether you're a KAZ superfan or just interested in hearing a veteran songwriter talk more about process, I think you'll really enjoy these extra nuggets. All right, that's a wrap. This episode's interview was recorded at Binary Studios. Thanks, Bob. Our ad music is courtesy of Mystery Chi. Thanks, Joel. Our interviews are engineered and mixed by Andy Rick. Our theme music was written and performed by Andy Rick. And our logo was designed by Andy Rick. Thanks for everything, Andy. Little City Big Sound is a proud member of the BellPod Network, a collective of independent podcasts made right here in the city of subdued excitement. We will see you next year, but before we go, we'll leave you with a track from Kristen Allen Zito's newest EP, Bridge. Here's Taj Mahal. <laughs>